Hey everybody, welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. And I'm Molly. And if this is your first time joining us, thank you for being here and giving us a little bit of your time. We are a happily married couple of something like 13 years. We have four kids, ages 11 through... Free. Free. And to clear things up, I'm not going to call anybody out, because I love all of our listeners, but we are very much not millennials. (laughs) (laughs) We got a really wonderful... Only meaning that we are old, but we we got married and started having kids old... And so we have kids the same age as most most parents with kids our age are millennials. Yeah. And I am firmly in the uh, smack in the Gen X camp. So, uh, no, we had a really wonderful email from a listener who um, assumed we were... Millennials. Uh, millennials, which was amusing, to say the least. Because we're old. We are. We don't get carded anymore, ever. No, not even kind of. (laughs) Molly doesn't wear big felt hats and... But I'm going to the Wild and Free homeschool conference in May, so I might have to get a big felt hat and a floppy linen jumper or something. I don't know. Floppy linen? Fitted linen, babe. No. Super tight. No, that's not the Wild and Free mom style. Oh, yeah, uh, like even I, even can't you just tiered... dress like your mom? Your mom has a really great style. No, just kind that's of like... not wild and free mom style. Buck the trend. I, I'm, I, I can't afford a whole new wardrobe <laughs> to fit in with these moms, so I'll have to buck the trend, and just go disguised as me. Are they all like? Are they all like hip? They're very hip. Hip. Very hip. I actually don't deliberately don't follow a whole lot of wild and free mom Instagram Mm -hmm. pages because they're so curated. I mean, we're talking kids who only play with wooden toys and who are dressed in earth tones and look perfect at the breakfast table. That's a perfect, you know, wooden table that their husband made and the walls are white except for a diagram of a cow that they're going to use to guide them in butchering the cow that they have back in their backyard and all the kids are going to do it and then they're going to show it at their 4-H and then they're going to do a science fair thing on it and um, anyway I'm not picking on wild free moms because a lot of them are tremendous but and they I don't all know apparently they only all... have one child I don't know. how do you have time for that? No I mean there, there's actually a, with the this one gal that I'm actually referencing she has I think five boys and she's of Cuban descent. I discovered her because she has relatives in Cuba. And when this last summer, when the Cubans were protesting, she was she had family actually sending her video from Cuba. And so she was doing a ton of posting and commenting. And I started following her for her perspective there. But it turns out that they have a little homestead in Florida and they have butchered several of their pigs recently and they have a black cat named Minerva. We also have a black cat named Minerva, you guys. But anyway, and she's actually a speaker at the the Wild and Free conference that I'm going to. You should be a speaker. Dallas. But I you can know, only be speakers at conferences now if you have a gazillion followers on Instagram right. and a wildly curated Instagram feed. Yeah, page. and I'm not as you guys know, we're not real great at curating our Instagram feed. I did post a picture of Minerva leaning out Who's of a cardboard t- box. 
the other day. I I don't. I who's got I time actually, for that? That's I could like have my... the time. I just spend it wasting it. I just waste it looking at other people's Instagram feeds and feeling overwhelmed at the mess in our house. So um, I'm trying to think. So what we why? Talk so about this today. is fun. So why are you going? Mm. Well, Jr. was in Washington State visiting his brother for his birthday. It turned out he he caught wind of his sister and sister-in-law, brother's wife, were planning to go to this conference, and he stuck his foot in the door and was like, wait, don't close that door yet. My wife's going with you. And I had to text <coughs> them to make sure that I wasn't wedging my way into some thing that they had planned just for them and they assured me that I would be welcome to join them at the Wild and Free conference in Dallas and I got the the eighth to last ticket available before they sold out <laughs> I I thought so the way I I heard it coming around coming about is that uh my sister and my sister-in-law decided that it would both be fun and decided very last minute to go. So they got tickets and then they Last thought, minute when the tickets went on. Sorry, when the tickets went on. Well, it was kind of a spontaneous thing. Yeah. And they didn't really think about it or plan anything and let's do this. And so that um, that's how that played out. So it wasn't any deliberate oversight. I don't know that they really knew that you might be interested in going. That's that's what Rebecca said. And they I also... kind of I kind of just want to send you away by yourself for a few days. I, I, my I goals are do. really, I don't I care do. about a conference. You could just as soon be going to sit in a, on a beach for three days. I don't care. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious how everyone out there is handling the craziness of the world. I went to Costco yesterday and we are not preppers, you guys. But both of us have inherited a tendency to have a lot of food on hand, and we have consciously amped the having a lot of food on hand up a couple of notches just with the uncertainty in our world. And so when I go to Costco, I'm, I've scaled this back a little bit, actually, because because of inflation, I gag every time I'm at the checkout stand. Like, okay, that was about... $200 more than I thought it was going to be when I decided to come here. But I, I'll buy an extra 20 pounds of flour or an extra something that we'll keep to have on hand just to build a little bit of a stockpile. But I'm curious if we have real preppers out there who are friends of ours or if you're afraid to out yourself or... If we, if you're like, you're ridiculous, our supply chains will never have problems. Our Costco yesterday, by the way, had zero paper towels and zero toilet paper of any brands. Again? Uh-huh. I, I've been contemplating uh, and evaluating. I, I look at it every few years, and it's actually, oh, it makes a lot more sense right now. Um, adding solar to the house. My thinking being, well, it's a DIY solar kit, and our energy company will put in a new meter free of charge because they love solar. I was told by the guy who came out to do some other evaluations for a new meter for the shop. And uh, they'll put in a new meter for free that goes backwards, so I'll feed back into the system, and it's credited to my account at current rates. Um, 
so worst case scenario is yeah we do end up in world war three because as i work i do judo with a woman who is from latvia and by from latvia meaning she came over here after high school and as an au pair and then ended up getting married and staying and only her mom is alive now but all of her family lives in latvia which is a former ussr country state area um and you know so she's very familiar with a lot of the Russian tensions. Her only comment is like, I'm actually more concerned about us over here than my family over there Hmm. because Putin is crazy. And Mm. if he's talking about nukes, that concerns me. So that was her particular concern. So all that said is like, worst case scenario, we end up in World War III and, you know, infrastructures go out because if I was, you know, destroying a country, I'd take out its infrastructure. So we don't have power, we don't have gas, we don't have electricity. If I have solar feeding my grit, feeding my house, then at least I can run things during the day. During the day. And we we have we have sun almost all the time around here. So um that's worst case scenario. Best case scenario is I save a ton of money on my electric bill every month. Because it would zero in basically six years, zero right? Basically, well, it, almost every month it would zero out, but we have a couple months in the summer where the no, AC how, and the pumps how go. How oh, long till it would pay for um, itself? At current usage, I'm calculating somewhere in year six. Yeah. At current usage. Now, that said, my dad is right now outside building an apartment, so that usage is going to go up. If we build a shop, usage is going to go up. Um, but it could that could be offset by rising costs, energy costs, which yeah. are going to go up like Mm -hmm. we can expect that so um thinking about doing something like that and after doing the solar in the van solar is way less uh intimidating than uh i previously expected so don't tap on that you're making noises that are going to drive you nuts listening yeah it's true sorry guys um so do you think people would be interested in seeing the company that you're looking at the diy solar with should you include a link for that? Sure. It's Pack Blue, Pack Blue Solar, I think. Um, they sell DIY kits. There's another company called Unbound Solar that sells DIY kits, and they do both grid tie and battery backup. Uh, the nice thing about most solar, almost any solar kit, is you can get what you can afford at the time, and then if you need to, you can add more panels and or add batteries and or add other things later on down And the part line. of the time pressure not only is global instability, but also... Is it an is it a federal tax? The federal credit? tax credit they extended it, so it it started out as like twenty six percent, but it was supposed to expire a bunch of years ago. So I thought it actually expired last year, but they renewed it again. So it's actually twenty two percent, and it's going to tear down over the next like three is or four years. Is it tax deduction? Tax deduction on your tax, so you get twenty two percent off the kit. So depending on whatever you spend on your install, you get a tax credit for twenty two percent of that of that install. So it makes a little bit of sense. It would, for this kit, it would essentially pay for the mounting hardware for the roof (laughs) or whatever. I mean, you end up paying cash for it at the end, but then you just have an eye. Is, are they, have you investigated how hail resistant these are? That's a problem. It's a really big problem where we live. I mean, not so much literally where we live, in this particular part of the city, because the the storms, it's really weird, you guys. <clears throat> the storms come, and there's a lot of theories on this, but the storms usually come in from west-southwest, and they come up over Laurel. There's a refinery in Laurel. 
another refinery in uh, Billings proper, kind of towards downtown, and then another refinery out towards Lockwood. So there's three refineries in there. We've got a river that runs south of everything. And then we've got this line of what's called the rims, these rimrock uh, uh, geographical structures that run all the way along. It's a line of cliffs. Basically a line of cliffs that run all the way along the north side of the city. So what happens that we've observed, and this is, everybody sees this, is the storms come in from the west-southwest area, hit Laurel, and then split. And they follow the river and follow the rims. So anybody living on the rims just gets pummeled every single year. Mm-hmm. We've only we've been here five years and, only, and have had extremely minor hail with the exception of one time. And that one time resulted in a $70,000 uh, insurance claim insurance on claim on our house, but but every five years that sort of damage is not going to be just. I mean, unless insurance will cover a solar system. I've got to talk to them and find yeah. out if it'll co- if it'll because cover the that's solar a problem. system. Because there was also a giant hailstorm here the year that we were trying to sell our other house, and that hailstorm hit here. It did hit it here hit? because we were at my parents' house when it hit, and it. Oh. Remember, yeah. we had filled the, my parents' trampoline with beach balls from Walmart. And it popped all the beach balls. <laughs> and it also punched I don't holes. remember that. That's we had, funny. We had one of those cheap plastic. Actually, mm-hmm. it wasn't cheap. It was like a $25 plastic, hard plastic swimming pool that I'd gotten at Ace that had a little built-in slide. And the hail cracked the plastic in enough places that we had to throw it away. And the kids were standing there watching their beach balls get popped from the window and watching the, the plastic pool get broken and just standing inside terrified crying. That's but, amazing. So, so that was twice in six years that yeah. we've had damaging hail. But so that's something I need to look at. Um, Tesla roofs um, have they've got video showing um, right, ice balls Tesla at like a ninety miles an way hour. Way more expensive. Right. It's just not speaking really of affordable. Tesla, we should make sure everybody knows. However, <clears throat> you feel about the conflict in the Ukraine, Elon Musk was tweeted at by. Was it by the president of Ukraine or mm-hmm. was it by the mayor of one of the cities? I think it was the president anyway, of so, Ukraine. So I'm sure a lot of you guys savvy people know this, but it's just so funny and cool. You know, Elon Musk has satellite internet that he's offering to people and he was tweeted at, can you provide Starlink internet to us? And 10 hours later, Elon Musk goes, done. More terminals on the way, but you have Starlink internet, which just creates such an interesting... I'm, I don't Dynamic. understand. I, I'm, I'm not going to pretend to be a foreign affairs expert at all. I will say, when George Soros is tweeting things about the Ukraine that agree with the mainstream media narrative, mm. it makes me feel like it's sketchy. There's something sketch going on. Uh, Allie Beth Stuckey had a had a page on her Instagram where she was holding all of these things that are feel like they're intention together and just saying. In fact, I screen grabbed it. I could read it right now, really quickly. She says, "Lots of things are true simultaneously. Ukraine is a very corrupt country. Russia is a very corrupt country. Zelensky isn't some Christian conservative moral exemplar." Zelensky is meeting this moment with courage. U.S. and EU foreign policy may have helped in part to motivate Russian aggression. Putin is a cruel imperialist dictator who's trying to revive Soviet Russia and is wrong for invading Ukraine. Soros supporting Ukraine is sketched to the max. The loss of innocent life is devastating. 
The Biden family has had some shady dealings with Ukraine and perhaps still does. Russia overtaking Ukraine would have serious implications for our allies. So holding all of these things in tension and not pretending to be an expert, uh, I I thought that her distilling all of that was great or very helpful to me. But at the same time, I I find it very interesting that because of globalism, something and technology, somebody like Elon Musk who's just this brilliant, eccentric billionaire, can can do something that gov- international governments are not doing for them. Mm-hmm. And also, then you read about... And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The dude, I think we did. The dude in his basement. We don't know who he is. Maybe he's not in his basement. Maybe he's some rich tech startup guy who <laughs> had a beef with North Korea and... Like figured out weaknesses in North Korea's internet system and was taking their internet down off and on for several weeks before he even owned up to doing it. Mm-hmm. And nobody knows who he is. And same thing, like there are hackers going after Russia right now just because they don't like what Russia's doing. Yeah. And granted, Russia is also, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, launching all sorts of cyber attacks against us and people like us all over the world. But I just think it's interesting that individuals because of technology and globalism, feel empowered to do things where... Technology you know, but- certainly makes certainly makes the, the concept of what a war would look like today a lot different when you have the ability for civilians to get involved with or without their government. Yeah. On the- and, and just do kind of what they want. Yeah. I, I mean, as I, even as I'm saying that, I, I find myself also feeling nostalgic for the good old days when we didn't have this constant barrage of anxiety producing information where the if you think about i don't know maybe i I, in all of these times i think what would it have been like to be ma ingles so for prepping food prepping i'm like ma ingles fed her entire family on a couple of potatoes and some bread for an entire long winter. And granted, they were starting to starve to death. But, you know, if 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 my idea of prepping is literally because I do sourdough bread, just clean water because we have a Berkey mm-hmm. and flour and salt, we could survive for a while on sourdough bread. We wouldn't have great butter to go on it, but we could survive. <clears throat> but, um, but also, they had this localized realm of worry to be concerned with, which was essentially the weather and the immediate geopolitics of their region. They were worried about Indians and they were, I mean, they had this distant news. Her brother comes home and he's been in the civil war and she's uneasy well, mo- about him being around her, her, her little Yeah, girls. I mean, but I mean, you, you could wait, you could go three Four months without knowing what the latest news is around. During the world. long winter when the trains stopped running because right. of the snow buildup, they went for it was literally like eight months with no news of the outside world. So, so they had their worries, but they were probably more mentally healthy than we are because we've. I read this Gospel Coalition article that was probably long enough ago that I won't be able to dig it up, but we get a God complex. Because the amount of knowledge that we have about the goings-on in the world gives us this sense that we 
what what we're able to do our our power should match our knowledge and our capabilities to act and even to manage our own mind doesn't match what we know about all of the terrible things going on in the world and so it like everything in life there's this balance of it's cool to hear about dude cyber hacking north korea and elon musk giving internet to the entire ukraine and guys trying to take down little pieces of russia because they feel like the government isn't acting on their behalf and yet at the same time it's the other side of that same coin is that we know more than we're able to affect or do anything about and and it's terrible for our well-being as well as our ability to be present in relationships that god has given us now i mean i definitely yeah i definitely think it's helpful to be you know to be prepared in so far as it's reasonable i mean there are people where it's become you know it's their idol it's their identity it's their livelihood it's their mm-hmm. you know they spent at the expense of a lot of other things that may or may not be more helpful they've spent all of their time and energy on making sure that you know they survive some unknown calamity i mean the fact is we don't know the future of the world we don't know what's going to happen God is sovereign in all things. And when we take our faith and our trust out of that, that context of God's sovereignty, it, everything becomes skewed at that mm-hmm. point. And, you know, on the other hand, my brother is like, love you, brother. But he's like, I'm just going to sit here and do nothing. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I don't think that's the right answer. You know, I mean, there's always something we can do. I mean, I, I, I but I also have a very high sense of injustice and, um, the idea of Russia taking over another country, that's not just. But at the same time, the idea of the Ukrainian military um, forcing civilians, or men anyway, conscripting men to serve in the military and not letting them leave the country, that's not that's just either. That's not just either. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> would people, uh, would there be, a, would like in America, would natural militias rise up if somebody was trying to take us over yeah mm-hmm. yeah the american military would be three times the size because we all have multiple weapons um so i mean i don't there's no easy answer it's definitely going to change things and affect things but it may not affect things as bad as we think we have no but, idea but I... there's nothing wrong with you know i don't think there's anything wrong with a healthy level of like hey it's like having a savings account mm-hmm. you know let's have some money sitting around in case our or dishwasher blows up or something breaks. I mean, you don't sit around saving all, I mean, some people do, I guess, saving all of your money in, in case you might need it and not use it for anything. Um, that's what it's there for. It's a tool. It's to be used. So I don't know. Yeah. It's, so I have two things that I've been thinking about stemming off of this. One is we, when I got home with this Costco haul, JR jokingly said, oh, mom's prepping for World War Three. And our nine-year-old really, to say that she was deeply unnerved by, by that statement is a bit of an understatement. She didn't freak out, but she just got very, very scared at the prospect of, of war that would affect her. And she was like, I don't, I don't want to die. And it, it made me think about, uh, how did, 
I, I don't I don't I'd be curious I'd be curious if any of you have any resources if you know about what was the state of mind of children and families during say World War Two. And you know, I I reminded Lily that we listened in our in our trip road trip last May, we listened to almost all of the Chronicles of Narnia and reminded Lily that the reason those kids Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy, the reason they were at the kooky professor's house is because they had been evacuated out of London, sent away from their families in order to protect them from the potential of their home being bombed. And the government of England had deemed it prudent to preserve their future by spreading children throughout the countryside where a whole bunch of them aren't gonna die at once in a bomb and the likelihood of the Germans bombing one farmhouse or one mansion out in the country is a lot lower than trying to bomb the very dense city or places where they're likely to be having fuel or weapons. And so I was explaining to her the whole context of these kids going there is the very real fact in history that kids were evacuated because of war, and this was zero new in our world. There's another book that Sarah McKenzie, the Read Aloud Revival gal, recommended that takes place under similar circumstances, and she said, it just came out recently, and she, I bought it on Kindle for like $2. It's still like a $17 hardback on Amazon, but it's called A Place to Hang the Moon, and it is, it's a fantastic book, uh, especially if you're a mom who wants to cry at the end of a sweet, sad book. Yeah, no. It, it'd be hard. Yeah, I'm not. I still can't bring myself to watch Where the Red Fern Grows again. Yeah, I've, I've been debating reading it to the kids because it touches on really heavy topics. I feel like they need to be a little bit older in order to handle some of the loss that the book makes young kids process but it's again it's set it's i think it's four young kids who are evacuated out of london because of the bombing and are put in it's not they're not in narnia they're in a little town where people do not want them (laughs) you know Mm. so that adds the it's almost like the harry potter-esque living in a in a closet under the stairs of a yeah. home where people you've been foisted on somebody who doesn't want you there. And so they have some of that kind of, this is kind of a spoiler, but it's not enough of a spoiler to not read the book. It's called a place to hang the moon. It's really a good book and it's in a similar setting too. We'll include, um, for any relevant links we feel like are worth your time. Um, we'll include them in the show notes so you guys can look back in. So speaking of CS Lewis and this issue have you read his essay on living during an atomic age? No, I have not. I I spend a lot of time on Instagram, and it goes yes, around every now and then. You, do. I'm going to take away your phone. You're not. I'm going to turn off the internet. So, in 1948, C.S. Lewis published an essay called "On Living in an Atomic Age," and it made the part of it made the rounds actually during because he mentions microbes that could take you out, and. It made the rounds early on in the pandemic, but it it is very relevant now. And I feel like I didn't read the get the whole thing, the the whole relevant quote. But here's three paragraphs. C.S. Lewis 
on living in an atomic age. And I tried to bring this down to Lily's level in talking with her yesterday. And I don't know if it was really that comforting because it was essentially like, hey, we're all going to die. Jesus. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> you know, the TLDR of it, it is we're all going to die. Jesus. But that wasn't super comforting to her. And she ended up sleeping on the floor next to my bed because she kept thinking about our house getting hit by a bomb. Uh, Lewis says, we get hit with fallout. Lewis says, in one way, we think a great to deal, a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I am tempted to reply, why? As you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year. Or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night. Or indeed, as you were already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age in of an air age raids, of COVID. an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madame, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had, indeed, a very great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics, but we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world (laughs) which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made, and the first action to be taken together taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies. A microbe can do that. But they need not dominate our minds. And you can see why it circulated early on in the pandemic, huddling like frightened sheep. But I think it's relevant again today. And also interesting, I was telling Lily, I'm finishing up reading Second Chronicles in my Bible reading. And as a mom, sometimes when I'm reading about... And the Assyrians came down and wiped them out. And then the, these people came in and wiped them out. And then this king was pretty good, so God, you know, beat the enemies off and they had prosperity. And then the next, and then his son was absolutely terrible and he came down. And every single one of those raids, there were moms trying to protect their children. You know, like when he, when he, C.S. Lewis talks about, uh, you know, London and the plague or the Viking Age, which interestingly enough, in the story of the world, we literally just got to the Viking Age. And Viking was their word for exploring or adventuring. Hmm. And so the Vikings were, that was just their word for adventuring or exploring. And, oh, this is also interesting when you think about prepping. And, I think raping and pillaging when I think of Vikings. Yeah, the reason that they did that is they there were too many of them and they ran out of farmland. So they went <clears throat> off to try to find more farmland. Interestingly, so in we're listening to the story of the world. Titus doesn't like me to read it aloud, but we were given years ago by Sarah Phillips. Thanks, Sarah. A copy of the audio of Story of the World. And so we listen to it when we're driving around. And... Eric the Red was got basically got in a really big fight with someone 
and got kicked out of his village. So that's why he went off across the ocean and found Greenland. And his son, Leif Eric's son, get it? Son of Eric. Mm -hmm. He's the one who tried to find North America, ended up finding North America, but then the natives fought them off and they ended up going back to Greenland. But when, when Eric the Red found Greenland, he tried to recruit a bunch of people to come live there with him. It was so not fertile because it was frozen so much. They couldn't grow grain. They could kill whales and things like that. But the people who lived there for a generation were so malnourished. They found burial sites of women's bones that were like under four feet tall and men's bones, full grown men's bones that were about four feet tall. Wow. So they were so malnourished. They were Short turning people. into midgets. And and that was one of the reasons why Leif Erikson wanted to go find this place that some guy who'd gotten blown off course was describing these green hills and whatnot that he wanted to go find, which was Canada. And that that didn't work out for them. But it was interesting as I'm thinking about prepping and you know, is flour enough? We need a we need a well-rounded diet. <laughs> and I mean, you can can you know you can can goods like we could can instead of eating all of our produce in the summer, we could can some of it for we, store long-term storage. Could, you know. Yep. I but I don't love canned produce. I don't. But well, the it, point is not the point is not to, to love, love it. it. The point is to get the nutritional to survive. Yeah. Quality. Oh, speaking of which, you guys have been contemplating if if you've listened to us for any length of time. You will know that Molly hates chickens. She's she's not a fan of chickens. They're scary to me. But we've recently been talking about maybe getting some chickens of our own. We go through somewhere between five and six dozen. No, four to five. Four dozen. to five dozen eggs a week. So it's not insignificant. Um, but our I believe when we moved into this house, which has been built now for since ninety eight eight. Um. It was so built the year over, I graduated over from 20 high school, years. so yeah, I over 20 remember years. that. Um, there are covenants in this neighborhood that pretty much nobody remembers because there's only a couple families left that are originals. But I think one of the covenants was no chickens, which struck me as funny because another covenant, it didn't say anything about livestock. And I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense because cows are way stinkier and way more obnoxious than chickens. And they're all two and a half acre <laughs> lots, so you could theoretically have a cow You could theoretically run a cow, yeah. So anyway, um, we only have a couple neighbors left, and Molly, I haven't told you this yet, but the neighbor across the street from us said both he and his wife were farm kids, so they don't. He doesn't have any. He doesn't have any problem with chickens. Really? He goes, "What do the covenants?" Would say? you just bump into him? No, I called him on the phone oh. about something else. He's like, "What do the covenants say?" And I'm like, "I I gotta find my copy. It's around somewhere. I think it said no chickens." But he's like, "Well, you know, because I'm, I'm kind of a rule follower." I'm like. Yeah, you also built a house that's taller than everybody else too. He's like, so I'm asking for you know what you think, <laughs> and he was just kind of he kind of laughed. Um, so that's okay. Nice. That's We're closer, news. one step closer. Uh huh. Uh, yeah. So speaking also of food and nourishment, uh, I'd be curious if any of you guys out there have done Misfits Market. It's mail order produce of things that don't fit perfectly into. For example, the, uh, organic carrots that are not perfectly long and straight okay. and fit perfectly in a bag together. So if you got many, many episodes ago, we we talked about visiting 
Uncle Vern's farm, mm-hmm. and he was telling us that the the human psyche, the commer- the the consumer America, has a particular vision, a particular understanding of what something is supposed to look like. Anything that doesn't look like that gets basically discarded. So. Uh, is this kind of what we're talking about? Like it the is rejects. a little bit because if you, it's not necessarily the rejects, but if you remember in Uncle Vern's packing facility, mm-hmm. where there's this incredible machine that sorts clementines or peaches by size and weight, and also like shoots lasers through them to make sure they're not rotten in the middle and all this incredible stuff. And then they're automatically dropped Takes down like conveyor belts. photos per second. And then, yeah. And then, and then, so if you notice this, you guys, the next time you're at a grocery store, if you don't do Walmart pickup every time, like I do, the prepackaged bags of apples, the apples are always smaller than the, than the loose, just pick your own apples. Mm-hmm. And, now Uncle Vern's going to call me and tell me I'm wrong. If I recall correctly, <laughs> it had something to do with being able to... And you're going to be blessed they, by the conversation. I will. I will for sure. It had something to do with being able to get them... They had to be uniform for the aesthetics. So all of the apples or the oranges or whatever that comes in a prepackaged bag needs to all look the same. So you can't have a giant apple and then an apple that's the size of a clementine, even though they could both taste equally delicious. They don't look good in a package together. But also, the smaller ones are easier to manage weight-wise. And his incredible machines actually sorted things. Like They would shoot the exact amount. So if you're buying a three-pound bag of apples, the, it they're sorting hundreds and hundreds of apples at a time into this person in this packing station gets exactly three pounds of apples. And this person is, you know, haven't you ever wondered if you're buying a 10 pound bag of potatoes, is it really 10 pounds? Or is it like, (laughs) you know, 10 pounds plus or minus half a pound? I don't know what the margin for error in this is because I've never brought a 10 pound bag of potatoes home and weighed it. But apparently the machinery that is sorting and telling them which apples go in which bag is tremendously precise and makes these decisions to say in a split second would be an understatement. But, but so the ones that don't meet the size parameters for consumers or are not damaged, like I'm not getting rotten Mm -hmm. apples, but I'm getting, for example, I ordered a box of, and it arrives tomorrow. So I can't tell you guys how it's gone yet. It arrives tomorrow, but I ordered a, a box of spring spring mix, like lettuce and other greens, and apparently a lot of these plastic boxes are damaged. And so it doesn't affect what's inside, but a store can't have a perfectly beautiful display of it. And so I'm getting it at like 30% off in a box delivered to my doorstep. And it would be interesting cool. to see how it goes. How we do they don't guarantee a, any sort of freshness? It's in a really insulated box, and it's oh, overnighted. Okay. Yeah, okay. And we don't get... Billings is enough out of the way that we... Like, both sisters-in-law get boxes, produce boxes, all the time. Mm-hmm. And we just haven't had as many places that come to Montana. So I, I have friends who get summer produce boxes, but you have to go to the truck at a certain meeting point and... I don't like to leave the house. I would be constrained by being somewhere at a certain time. And 
they're mostly the best prices for those are when we're actually harvesting stuff from our garden. So I haven't gone for that. But uh, we have about 10 minutes Right here, the ugly problem. It can be expensive to eat healthy, yet almost half of the food grown in this country is thrown out because it can't be sold. Because it's ugly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder if this is something that like Uncle Vern would send his uh, send his fruit to. He might. I don't know. Maybe it's a giant scam and it's all the rotten stuff. Well, <laughs> I don't think so. Because I looked up reviews of it before I ordered it just to see mm-hmm. if people thought it was worthwhile and what sort of things. Because I was even skeptical of doing... Like Walmart pickup because I want to be able to handle everything and see mm-hmm. they're not giving me rotten apples. And I've almost never been unhappy. I've gotten some heads of some three packs of romaine lettuce that I'm not wild about. But probably could just grab them off the shelf and throw them in the car without looking. Yeah, at but in terms of bags of produce, I've never been displeased with what they've given hmm. to me. So that that makes me happy. So many interesting things in the world. There are. What a great idea somebody had. Um, I have a joke for you. What happened to the Mexican magician who said he was going to count to three and make himself disappear? Is this a racist joke? (laughs) It's not a racist joke. Because I'm not racist. Um, I've heard this, but I can't remember the I answer. I know. He said uno, dos, and then he disappeared without a tres. tres. <laughs> we have... Titus has a book of dad jokes. Harry Titus. Potter's dad jokes. And he sometimes follows... He literally will be hollering out the last one he read before I turn the light off for him as I'm going down the stairs after I've said goodnight to he him. He had one for me that I thought was pretty good. What building... Uh, in he's like, Dad, what building in the city has... The, and he's... Titus, um, he does this to me almost every time. He asks me a question, but he does it in such a way that I don't realize he's telling a me joke. a joke. So he started talking about something. He asked me this question this morning, and I'm like, well, son, so... And I start launching into this thing. He's like, Dad, Dad, it's a joke. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Sorry. I, uh, he said, uh, what, you know, he said, what, what building in Billings has the most stories? I was like, uh, I'd be the first interstate oh, bank yeah. building. He goes, no, dad, it's a library. <laughs> oh, it's one of those moments you're telling me a joke. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. He's got a, he's got his delivery down pretty good, which is kind of funny. Uh huh. So back to our regularly scheduled programming. Is there anything regularly scheduled on this show? No. Uh, Blake on our Telegram channel asked mm-hmm. a question about oh, heaven. Oh, man. And here's the short answer. I don't know. They <laughs> she So Blake said, I'm going to, I should just pull it up. She, in short, she said on the last episode, JR asked for clarification if Molly was talking about the new heavens and the new earth or the meantime heaven. And she said, what's y'all's understanding of what heaven is currently like? Where do you go if you die now? Also, what's your take on marriage in heaven, especially in light of Luke 20, 34 to 36? And I, I'll give you a word picture of my house right now, which is we emptied out two girls' bedrooms, and most of the contents of the room is in my front hallway. 
and that's affecting the state of my mind. So I I didn't do any research or reading on this. But she does have a theo- uh, master's of divinity degree from Westminster Seminary, so she should be able to just spit out. I I can't though, answer. and I don't. I my short answer is I don't know. I know Randy Alcorn has written a tremendous book on heaven. I haven't read it, so I can't weigh in on whether I would agree with everything he says or not. My understanding is there is sort of an in-between time where you're face-to-face with Jesus, you're happy, you're not suffering anymore, you're aware of what's going on here on earth. Uh, And I'm kind of taking this a little bit from like Hebrews, the cloud of witnesses, um, even like... Jesus, you know, I don't know. Can you read much into Jesus' parable of Lazarus and the rich man? And they're aware of what's going on back on earth, but they can't interact with what's going on on earth. I I don't know. I honestly don't know what the in-between time is. Will it be like a thousand years is like a day? And so somebody who died, so Moses, you know, he died and he... does he feel like he's waiting and waiting and waiting for Jesus to come back? Or is it going by in a blink of an eye, just like if you were to die in a car accident tonight and Jesus came back and cleaned up all this mess next week, would you and Moses have the same sense of waiting? I have no idea. I think it's important to remember that uh, Jesus doesn't, it's not clear. So I don't, the the import of scripture is not to dwell on wonder and spend time trying to figure out what things are going to be like after we're done with this life but rather the import of scripture is to live this life really really well well i mean i don't know i think it's great to think about it Oh, it's fine to think and about but it's not clear it on purpose do, it doesn't change it shouldn't necessarily change how we live. I think one thing that is very clear is is we don't have a Catholic theology of purgatory, which is this kind of holding place where you get to make decisions or other people can help you get out of the holding place into a happy place, so to speak, where the your your chance to repent is over once you die. You die and you face judgment. And then you are admitted into glory, but glory in heaven will for sure be different than when Christ returns and he recreates the new heavens and the new earth. Like, I don't think we'll have bodies until I, we're reunited with our glorified yeah, I bodies. Mean, there's two things, there's two kind of over overriding principles that I like, that I tend to think about when I think about this stuff. One is that God created us, his humanity, to live on earth, for earth, to tend the garden. He created us as one of his creatures on this planet, this mm-hmm. physical planet. Um, does that mean we can't, He, you know, we're not supposed to go live on other planets or travel? No, I don't think that's what it means at all. But what this, what it, what it does mean is that, or what not basically what it means, but what it helps me think about or put the emphasis on is like all growing up, everybody talked about, I can't wait to get to heaven. 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 It's like, we weren't, we weren't designed for heaven. 
Mm-hmm. The angels and God we were designed, designed for, for heaven. an unfallen earth. Right. And so we're designed for an unfallen earth. So at the end, and then, so that's kind of the first thing that I, that I, and I, let me, let me just add there. I think that living well on earth doesn't, you know, in, in the proper context, it's not earning our salvation. It's not going to make it, it's actually preparing us for heaven in the same way that, um, how do I say this well? I heard our old pastor preach a sermon once about the idea of jewels in our crown and things like that. And if you have six jewels in your crown and I have three, am I going to be jealous and angry of you in heaven? No, because we're all perfectly honoring God. But he said, "Your everybody in heaven's cup is going to be completely full. But if you have worked at exercising your heart and honoring God and delighting in training your heart to enjoy the things that God designed you to enjoy, it's almost like your cup will be bigger. So you're right now creating a bigger capacity to enjoy heaven by training your heart Mm. to enjoy the things of, and when I say heaven, again, I mean, when, when God, when God places us in glory, when God when we are with God in glory. Yeah. The other thing I, the other thing I think about, and, and if you've ever had surgery and been put under, I think it's going to be exactly like that. You know, one minute you're laying there on the bed. Hey, okay, go ahead and take a couple deep breaths. And the next minute you you wake up like, whoa, what happened? Where am I? And hours have gone by or whatever, how long, long the surgery is. I think it's going to be like that. Like we're going to, it's you mean going up into glory, wherever, mean... wherever we end up after we die, we're going to, we're going to put our heads down. We're going to close our eyes. We're going to be laying in a hospital bed. However we go out. So you think somebody like Moses has been in a suspended state and I don't know. I don't, I don't know, but that's not my point. When he wakes up, he, there will have been zero time difference for him. Yeah. One minute I, he'll I don't be asleep. Know. I tend to feel One minute like he'll be Moses he'll be probably like cognizant and maybe. in some spiritual sphere. Right. And maybe he is. But when he mm-hmm. woke up in that spiritual sphere, yeah. there was there was no time gap. So so for me I'm like it doesn't really matter if if we lay in state for, you know, a millennia or we wake up spiritually in the presence of Jesus the moment we die. It's going to be, the, from my perspective, it's the same either way. I'm going to wake up instantaneously wherever I'm at the moment I go out. So And be perfectly happy. And be perfectly happy. So I'm like, I part of me is just like, I don't, it doesn't really matter a whole lot to me at the end of the day. I kind of feel the same way about the second half of Blake's question, which is the Luke question about marriage. And Jesus is chastising. I think partly Jesus, you have to read in context, Jesus is chastising people who are niggling and trying to trip him up when he says, don't you know that in heaven there's neither merit, nobody's being given in marriage. And I, I don't know what my relationship with you will look like in heaven or our relationship with our kids or things like that. I just know that whatever our future glorified relationships and state looks like, we'll be perfectly happy, happy and content because that's how God designed us to be perfectly happy and content and so uh i the short answer is i don't know the answer to that and i honestly don't think we need to know in order to trust god that he will do something great with us and we're not going to be sad about missing people or 
my friend who was widowed at a young age and then remarried. There's not going to be some awkward, okay, I've got two husbands that I love and are super different. You know, uh, I, I don't think we I need mean, to fret about yeah, that because God's got it handled. Yeah. I mean, you also understand that God, again, God designed us male and female and he designed us for to have that companionship if we end up having that companionship. But otherwise, you know, he also makes it plain in scripture that we don't need to have that companionship to be completely whole, whole with and him. Yeah. And um, there's a lot of, you know, I grew up with a lot of discussion that, that the, the marriage, the physical marriage on earth is a manifestation of Christ's relationship with the church and a way to propagate humanity. You talk about that all the time in Cana Box. So uh, do we need those things when we're in heaven? Mm, probably not. <laughs> uh, I don't so, know. So I don't know. Because God said it's not good for a man to be alone. The good news is I won't miss sex. So that'd be great. Because I'll be totally fulfilled. Because <laughs> right. I couldn't imagine like life without sex sounds horrible. Like no offense to my single people. Love you guys. I'm, I close the show by offending your listeners. Uh, let's let's Sorry. pivot. <laughs> we'll pivot to. So I posted an article on my Facebook page oh, that I. Uh, Tim Challies shared this morning is called Eternal Surprise. And I'm not sure why. I think I read it because of the the pullout quote that he had posted with it. But he's talking, this guy named T.M. Suffield is, sounds like he's in, based on how he's spelling laborer, sounds like he's in the UK. With a U? Yes. And or Canadian. He, he's talking about a conversation with somebody who has zero familiarity with scripture and he's, this guy is like, he's about to do a Zoom sermon. And this laborer with a U is like, well, what are you talking on this Zoom talk about? So he's telling him the story in Luke 7 of Jesus encountering the funeral procession of the widow. And he reaches out and she touches the dead child. And he, he says, then we come to the climax. Jesus looks at the young man who he's not afraid to touch and says, get up in a beautifully understated line in Luke's narration. And the dead man sat up. The plasterer looked at me eyes wide and viscerally expressed a surprise in a way that I will not repeat in print. Uh, and he, so he goes on in the article to say, I've, I've never had that reaction to hearing this story because familiarity has just bred apathy in me. Like, I'm not shocked that Jesus touched a dead kid and the kid got up or a dead teenage, you know, young man or whatever. He's like, I've never responded with a holy mm, at the shocking quality of Jesus touching somebody and saying, get up and the person getting up. And so he, he, he goes on to say, we need to work on cultivating eternal surprise which then leads to joy and wonder and worship at who God is and what he's done. And the first time I read the article, I was attracted to it because he makes a special point of saying several times, Jesus stops the procession, comforts the mother, and reaches out to touch the bier the body is placed on. This is a taboo act. You don't willingly touch the dead. The death transfers to you, spiritually speaking, which is, by the way, lo the logic behind the Old Old Testament food laws, though I didn't explain that to the plasterer, which 
I think a lot of, I mean, I talked about this last week and oh, talking about... Oh, it ties about, totally in with last week. Yeah, it totally ties into last week. And I think so many of us have never been taught that. I mean, I had never really heard that until uh, that such that class with Ed Welch, mm-hmm. which I think is why it made such a big impression on me. And he goes, he goes on in this article to say that... Uh, now I can't, I'll have you post the link, but basically he says, Jesus's life is contagious. You know, we were talking about holiness and cleanliness as being contagious instead of death and sin and uncleanness contaminating everything that it touches. But Jesus flips that on his head, but he says that it's, it's the life in Jesus that, that spreads. And I, I, the article caught my eye because of that the first time around the second time oh he says his life sticks to us which i thought was Hmm. kind of a good turn of phrase the second time around that i read it after i had posted it was just thinking what do we do in life to cultivate wonder and joy and surprise and I feel like I'm beating a dead horse here. But I just went back to <laughs> you totally gonna laugh at me. What did I go back to? Uh Supper of the Lamb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and him talking about all the different ways the person who's bored with eating beef and he's like, give me a handful of ingredients and I could make beef. A zillion different ways and never stop being surprised and interested and delighted in what I can do mm-hmm. with a couple of basic ingredients and a cut of beef. And I mean, that's French cooking actually is is not real or Mexican cooking to be to, you know, it's let's talk about a taco. Well, I've never continually enjoyed, delighted by a taco, and you can prepare it a gazillion different ways. It's pretty much the same thing. Right, or French cooking. I mean, you've got flour, you've got butter, you've got meat, and then you've got some sort of liquid to create the sauce and some combination of herbs to create the sauce. And you create a zillion different textures of sauce and types of sauce. And it doesn't even have to be expensive. I can't remember the dish right now, but it's basically a bean casserole. And I had a... I had it with several, like a sausage underneath it. And it's this very slow cooked. It's very rich and creamy. And I had it at this expensive restaurant a couple of years ago and it knocked my socks off. And I was like, there is, this is not a 30 or $40 dish. It's literally some white beans and some fat. And it was unreal good. When you, if I am still, if you die before me, I was thinking, well, I'm going to bury you with a copy of the Supper of the Lamb. But no, I'm going to buy like, I'm going to buy, I'm going to give a copy. <laughs> I'm going to buy a copy for every attendee of our funeral and send them on their way. Actually, what you should do is have a read it like the way instead of a wake, yeah. have a reading of the Supper of the <laughs> Lamb. <laughs> you have to come sit. You don't even have to sit by my coffin. That's fine. Just come sit in my house and eat some good food. Get it catered. You know, eat some good food and read the Supper of the Lamb straight through uh, in my honor. And no, I just think we, you know, in Billings, we're Montana, we're big sky country. We look west towards a mountain range. We can see a ski area from our house on a good sunset night. If you go onto Facebook or Instagram any given night, there will be a dozen pictures of the sunset. Mm-hmm. It the 
you know, and here we go to G.K. Chesterton, who God himself says to the son every day, do it again with the delight of a child. But I think that we we honor who God is and what God does by not trying to look for the big things that God has done, like touching a dead man and saying, get up, and the man gets up. But we can be delighted and surprised at who God is and what he's doing in our lives in little ways. And I think that that delight is contagious. You know, that's why that's why Instagram exists is because you share good times with other people because you can't help it. And at a good meal, the joy of the good meal is not complete until you're talking about how much you've enjoyed it with your fellow participants. But I think that that not only answers a deep impulse in our hearts to worship, it also answers a deep need in our heart to not become apathetic Mm -hmm. at who God is and what he's doing in the world around us every day. So food. Food. (laughs) Speaking of food, are we doing tacos tonight? Oh, we are. I need to go grate some cheese and heat up some tortillas. In case you guys haven't figured out by the sound of my voice on this show, this episode, um, we've we've been battling with colds for the last couple of weeks. And uh, Titus, um, Titus and I are both not well enough to be in close quarters uh, physical combat with other judoka. So um, Titus is like, yeah, I'm not, I kind of want, I really want to go do judo, but I'm kind of excited because I can just eat as many tacos as I want tonight because I don't have to go work out. (laughs) So that was kind of amusing. And I hadn't heard we were doing tacos yet. So when he well, said that, I was like, well, it's Tuesday, so I usually do tacos. All right, guys. Um, thank you for joining us on today's show. We hope you enjoyed hanging out with us a little bit. If you want to continue the conversation, um, you can join our Telegram group. It is a secure chat group, uh, chat uh, platform where we can get on and uh, talk with each other. And we also have a, a significant, well, not a um, yeah, it's a significant uh, number of listeners that also engage on the platform and conversations are all over the place all the time. So um, that's how we actually got Blake's um, Blake's uh, comment on asking us what about heaven and marriage and heaven. So join that. I'll include the link in the show notes. It's a private group, so you need that code to get in. Uh, but then from there, it's pretty self-explanatory. We'll include a link to um, links to most of the other books and articles and companies and things that we talked about in the show, so you guys can check them out. We don't unless it's an Amazon link. You know, we don't have sponsorships. We don't get paid for anything. So uh, go check those things out. And if you want to reach us in another way rather than Telegram, you can send us a postcard on our website, www.toobusytoflush.com. There's a little feature if you scroll down there. It says postcard. While you're there, you can swing on over to the Swag Shack, pick yourself up a People Are Weird and Hard mug or Too Busy to Flush shirt or something nifty like that. I should think about putting up a new collection of some sort. Um, Oh, my favorite collection, uh, Live in Truth. I designed uh, design and put up a logo for that. Um, and you can also send us an email at tb2f. That's the letters tb number 2f.com at pm.me. tb2f at pm.me. And with that said, we will try to join you next week again for another episode, I think. Yep. 
and stuff. God willing, if we don't all die in a nuclear bomb first and Kaboom. go to heaven. Kaboom. Then we'll all see you up there and we can just hang out. Talk about how weird we all were on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'll see you guys next week. <laughs>